Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, happy hump day. We are through the middle of the week. I'm back from vacation. I want to uh, thank you folks that did listen in last week as we did a replay of the climate lie. I had the gentleman in from the CO2 coalition. Uh, Lots of feedback on that for the second time, and thank you for your participation. In case you're wondering where I disappeared to, I I went into uh, the Rocky Mountains. Yes, it's high, and yes, it's the land of Karen. Uh, there's been quite a few people moving to the Boulder and Denver area trying to reshape the state. But it's funny, there's still a lot of rednecks in Colorado. It's kind of a 50-50 split. Um, had a good time, had some interesting issues on breaks, spent some quality time with my wife's family. And when it was all said and done, it was time to get back to Texas. So what's the difference in the weather? Well, uh, there's about a 15 degree difference in temperature. Uh, there's a huge degree in humidity and I don't miss I don't miss uh, coming back to the humidity unfortunately you walk outside right now and it does envelop you but there's a lot in Texas that I do like uh, right now I like the fact that our politics is still a little more conservative right now in the state of Colorado it's 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 mixed up some there's some areas that are very hardcore conservative there's some areas that are very hardcore liberal um, there's not a lot of balance in the state right now they're trying to find that balance The other thing I like about the state that I'm in right now is I like the fact that we do have the Gulf of Mexico, uh, because right now in in uncertain times, should the republic fall apart, and I use that tongue in cheek, but I I use it for a reason, uh, we've got a way to import, export new goods and survive upon our own, not something that all of our fellow states have the right to do. We don't want to have that happen, and that's part of what this show's about, how to educate you to be involved with information in the process of what's going on legislatively because it impacts your pocketbook. Now, you'll probably notice the last couple of months, I've spent a tremendous amount of time on infrastructure. And you might say, Darren, sounds like you're, you're killing a fly with a sledgehammer. And to a degree, I am. The problem that we've got right now is there's a tremendous amount of money that is looking to be spent in infrastructure and it's your tax dollars. And one of the biggest issues that we've got with the money that's coming in is it's not all, it's not all on the infrastructure. I'll give you an example today, the U S house. Okay. They passed the initial uh, USDOT budget increase. That was the house appropriations committee that was done on party lines. Uh, and that increase was a couple of billion dollars folks. Now, they don't go out and build bridges with this money. This is administrative building. And a lot of this, if you go and you read these budgets, over half are not allocated towards actual things that are infrastructure related. In other words, the supporting of administration for the construction crews and things like that. Um, it's very much, we're going in a very non-traditional way. And the bills that come out, for example, in the, uh, whether it's the U.S. Department of Transportation budget, or their subsections of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. These are monies that you spend a lot of you spend a lot of your tax dollars on, whether you realize it or not. And it's just one part of a component that goes out. This is separate from 
the bills that you're hearing being proposed on infrastructure, in other words, the building of bridges, the buildings of roads and highways, and now the new redesigned, which is going to be they want health care and all kinds of things that we've never de- ever defined as infrastructure, which are about any, depending on the bill you look at and the version could be anywhere from as much as 90% of a bill to as little as 50% of a bill of non-traditional infrastructure related spending. So this stuff's important. These are things that are, they're using infrastructure as a way to do a transformational change in a, what we define in infrastructure, that way monies can be expanded to go to more special interest groups. Uh, They're also looking at ways to expand the definition of infrastructure. So things that used to be up to a state or a county or a municipality are now considered federal spending. What do I mean by that? Well, traditionally, uh, for example, if you're going to do a roundabout in your town, that's something that your your municipality would handle. Well, now they're talking about definitions in these infrastructure bills for that type of spending for bike paths, for walk paths, things of that nature. That's that's never been a traditional federal government role. That's the reason we have the separation of powers within the U.S. Constitution. It's not just the executive branches. It's the states from the federal government. These are areas the federal government's never had any type of authority in, but they're trying to define it and take over that authority. And these are trillions of dollars they're talking about spending. They're talking about spending ways in which to change the transformational way that we transport ourselves and how we use energy. When I say transporting ourselves, I'm talking about the way that you use your automobile right now, as well as the way you may not be able to use your automobile in the future if things are changed. And changing the way we use energy could also dictate what appliances you could buy, where you could live, potential zoning infrastructure changes within municipalities. There's a whole lot of stuff that are going into these bills and they're trying to change a structural change in how America uses these. Now, today, uh, sometime here in the show, we don't have an exact time because he's coming off the floor of a vote and we will have a limited amount of time. We're going to have U.S. Congressman Bruce Westerman. Uh, He's out of Arkansas, out of the 4th District that he will be on the show today. Uh, He is part of the U.S. House Transportation Committee. He's also part of the Natural Resource Committee. So he's on two very important committees of areas that we focus on. So as soon as we get him in, I think we're about to get Bruce in right now, we'll start going over some topics with them because he's right in the middle of that war, uh, fighting the good fight. Uh, Bruce, I see you've chimed in. There we are. How are you doing, Congressman? Great, Darren. Good to see you today. So I uh, understand you just literally came off the floor of a vote. Yeah, I've been over voting and, and back over here in, the, uh, in my office and ready to talk with you. So what, uh, I, what was the vote for today? I, I know you probably didn't get what you wanted, but go ahead and tell us the fight you fought. No, this, this had to do with a, uh, a chemical called PFAS, P-F-A-S, mm-hmm. and it's got a name, a long name to it. But uh, it's, it's in a lot of different things, uh, most famously in Teflon and in uh, uh, Teflon-coated cookware. And there's some, there's some issues with, with PFAS, but there's lots of different kinds of it uh, and everything from, like I said, Teflon to uh, foam fire suppressing material to um, implants for medical purposes. Uh, so 
were you voting to keep it or to nix it? Uh, this was a vote to pretty much outlaw PFAS. Uh, okay. Now the EPA is looking uh -oh. at um, at the harms of some PFAS materials. Uh, there's already some regulatory processes in place, so I think my my colleagues across the aisle are jumping the gun a little bit and you know getting ahead of the system before we understand the science and how we really need to regulate something. But they're just you know kind of I believe more of a knee jerk reaction, saying it's bad, we got to get rid of all of it. But there's so many things, so many things uh, that affect all of us that have PFAS in it right now that uh, there really needs to be a lot longer look into it, Darren. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Let's uh, kind of talk with a couple of topics that we, and I know we've only got you today for a few minutes. You have a hard stop at 3.30. I know we're not going to be able to get to all the stuff. There's a lot of things that are coming out of the House right now, and I know you guys are, you're, you're not doing what our Texas Democrats are doing, and that's getting up and running from the scene. Uh, you're staying there trying to fight, even though I know you're outnumbered, and we appreciate that. Um, there's a lot coming out in infrastructure these bills are all over the place. We're hearing if we don't get this, we're going to do reconciliation. There's no way to cover all the topics. One thing I want to hit real quick, because I know it's still under discussion, that's the increase in the limits on insurance for anybody with a motor carrier or DOT regulation. Is there any way that that's going to be removed, carved out, or lowered down? Well, I'm on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. We tried an amendment in that during the markup of the House bill. Uh, it went down pretty much on party lines. Uh, I would hope the Senate would be able to fix that, but um, I mean, who, who knows what we're going to get on a final infrastructure bill, even if there is a final in infrastructure bill, and if there will be any kind of will from the majority in the House and the majority in the Senate to, to remove that. Uh, you know, fortunately, uh, infrastructure should go through uh, regular order and through the have to pass the filibuster so that means you would have to get a lot of republicans on board to pass it unless they do some kind of an end around and try to do it on reconciliation that's uh, what we've heard yeah uh yeah i mean you can call it what it is it's basically a, a handout to trial lawyers it's just increasing liability limits on uh on trucks so that you've got more uh more to go after when you sue truckers our concern is that, and, and, and I don't disagree that it is a handout to trial lawyers, but, and that's assuming obviously we have the acts that have the accidents that, you know, cause the lawsuits, is they're not looking at the nuts and bolts of the cost to trip or double, at, at the very minimum, double the limits that are currently out there from, even though 750 is a regulatory common practice is a million to go to 2 million they're talking dramatic increases in these truckers' premiums. Does anybody even talk about that? Oh, yeah, we talk about it. But you got to realize there's a mentality out there where they really don't care. And who pays for that in the end, Darren? I mean, the trucker. Yeah, it's going to it has to be passed through to, con to the consumer. We're already seeing uh, inflation, record amounts of inflation happening. And we're going to see even more of that when you start uh, raising taxes, when you start um, increasing insurance rates, all of that uh, gets passed through to the consumer. So it's going to make it more expensive. Uh, groceries are going to be even more expensive. Um, 
we're going to see fuel more expensive. Everything that we're out there buying on a day-to-day basis, the, the cost of it's just going to go up. Well, I'm hoping everything I'm seeing coming out of the House right now is getting a rubber, rubber stamp by the Democrats. And I know there are some common sense people on that side that know what they're voting on they shouldn't vote on. Is this just being done out of fear of reprisal right now? Well, you've got the you got to look at who's motivating the, the Democrat Party right now. Where are they getting their direction from? And it's coming from Bernie Sanders. It's coming from uh, AOC. The far left of the Democrat Party is setting the narrative and pushing uh, the agenda in the party. So, uh, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that this is this is what we're getting. And, uh, you know, when it actually comes down to a vote, I don't know where um, people with more common sense are going to end up, but I know where they're going to be pushed. Well, that's the thing that's concerning me. And there's there's people that I watch and I think there's I think there's probably more moderate Democrats than people want to give credit for. And I watch them voting for these bills. I'm going, you know, this is against everything that you said you stood for when you ran for election. Um, I hope they realize their districts at some point are going to punish them for that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that could happen. But what I'm worried about is the damage that gets done uh, while we're waiting for that to happen. Well, you're you're on the Natural Resource Committee. Um, I I think that's where the pipelines come through. Is there any chance of Keystone being reactivated or is that just dead for right now until the next uh, presidential election? Yeah, it's it's dead. The companies actually pulled out, said they're not uh, uh, they're not they're abandoning the project, which is a crying shame. You know, as far as congressional committees, that actually comes through the transportation uh, okay. uh, committee. You got we've there got a subcommittee on railroads and pipelines, but um, that was killed by the administration. Killed. Uh, within hours after President Biden being inaugurated, he put the executive order out. I had uh, union pop fitters in my district that got pink slips the same day that uh, uh, the president got inaugurated because he killed that pipeline. These were good paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found out something in going and meeting with these uh, these welders and pop fitters was that the all the energy systems on the Keystone XL pipeline were using renewable energy. They have wind or solar or uh, other forms of renewable energy. So all of that oil was going to be moved in the pipeline with no emissions and no, uh, no extra energy usage. How did that news not get out? Well, they don't want that news to get out. And they talk about uh, the, the new green deal or the jobs, the green Mm -hmm. jobs. These were actually green jobs. These were people learning how to do green jobs and, and they were killed. So you had a, uh, you know, a, a net neutral energy situation on on transporting all that oil uh, in the in the Keystone pipeline. But there's different ways to kill things. You can do it with regulations, but you can also do it with uncertainty. And if you look at what happens, we get in this ping pong scenario where uh, one administration comes in with an executive order and it gives somebody the green light. The next administration comes in and they give you a red light. And at some point in time, investors are going to say, I, we, we can't play this game anymore. We're gonna take our money and invest somewhere right. else. That's what they're trying to do to the energy industry right now. Oh, it's absolutely. It's enough uncertainty that, you know, the people that are drilling wells, that are working in the oil fields, 
the investors are like, we don't know what's going to happen. We can't put our money into uh, these kinds of projects. And at the end of the day, it does the same thing as if you stop leases on federal lands, which the Biden administration has, has done that too. And again, it's the American consumer, hardworking American taxpayers that are picking up the tab on this, uh, whether the federal government uh, has passed a tax increase or not, they're passing all those costs on through the regulatory process to the to the consumer. And you see it everywhere, especially in energy, because energy affects everything. It drives up the cost of agriculture. Uh, we've seen an increased cost in building materials. Um, but I think where Americans realize it the most is when they stop at the gas pump and when they stop at the grocery store. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that's where it's hit and it's been there. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. I don't see it changing anytime soon. That's, you know, I hope, but the best I think we can hope for is to get some degree of stabilization. Um, but I, I agree with you. I don't see it changing. And which brings us back once again to infrastructure. There's the talk of the vehicle miles tax because they're obviously trying to look at electrification of the grid, which I personally, I, I've done a lot of research on. I don't have, I'm not anti-electric car, but I'm not pro doing what they're proposed to do because number one, the the actual market in the U.S. market is not there to, to go the degree of electrification that they want. That's the first problem. Um, the second problem is is how to power it. We got a lot of problems in powering it, and then giving a lot of money back. But a lot of folks don't understand if we if we got past all those hurdles, which would be <laughs> Herculean if we could, they're still got to got to pay for it. What are you hearing if they get through all that and the vehicle miles tax? How could that possibly be implemented? Because we're hearing all kinds of rumors. Yeah. Well, you, you, there's a lot to unpack there, Darren. My, my background before I came to Congress, I actually practiced engineering for about 25 years. And actually, you know, somebody would say, we want to do something. And, and they go to an engineering firm and say, how do we do this? And there's a lot of planning and thought and effort that goes into figuring out how to solve these problems. And there's still lots of people out there in our country every day from engineers to construction workers to, uh, you know, all the, all the people in the supply chain and the construction field, they're having to figure out how to do things. And I can tell you, this is the most ill-conceived uh, crazy plan I think I've ever seen. It makes no sense when you get down to the None. nuts and bolts of it. Absolutely. You know, talk about we're going to reduce carbon emissions. Well, are you really? Are you really going to reduce carbon emissions? And at what cost are you going to reduce them? Um, if you if you eliminated all internal combustion engines in the transportation sector of the U.S., and I'm not just talking about trucks and passenger vehicles. I'm talking about boats, tractors, airplanes, everything that burns fossil fuel for transportation. The the most you could affect global uh, carbon emissions is is in the single digit percentages, possibly less than 1% when you really look at the science behind it. You, the U.S. produces less than 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions. 27% comes uh, from transportation, you know, all forms of transportation. Uh, if you take out, if you replace all passenger cars with electric vehicles, uh, you're below 1% of the global carbon emissions. At the same time, China's building new coal plants. They don't, they're producing twice as much greenhouse gases as the U.S. is, and they're not slowing down any. So, Because coal's cheap, and they can put a carbon capture system on it and not have to shut it down. 
Yeah, well, and not even put carbon capture on yeah. it. Well, um, here's something I, that I don't ever hear anybody talk about when we get on the carbon thing is, number one, we have to have a certain amount of carbon in the air, carbon dioxide, for the plants to make oxygen or we die. And I've had some scientific people on, and 150 parts per million is the threshold. If we don't have that, we're dead. Uh, the lowest it ever got was about 300 years ago. We were at right at 200 parts per million. We're at 400 parts per million now. And back during the, the, the Paleolithic era, we were at 8,500 parts per million. So we're nowhere near anything that's going to collapse the planet like they're being told. Does that discussion come up or does, do, do, they, do they come out and throw eggs at you when you try to say that? Oh, no, I have that discussion quite a bit. On uh, my other hat, my other educational backgrounds, I'm a forester. I'm actually the only forester in the house. So um, you talk about carbon dioxide in the air. It's, it's absolutely critical for photosynthesis. Got to have Teddy, it. Teddy Roosevelt called trees the lungs of the earth. They breathe in carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. And you're right, before the Industrial Revolution, we were at about... 280 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. Um, and they know this because they can go back and measure uh, polar ice caps and oxygen that's trapped in those polar ice caps. But they actually started measuring atmospheric oxygen in the 1950s out in Hawaii. At that point, we were at 311 parts per million. And the, the latest number that came out is 419 parts per million. So there's no question we're getting more carbon dioxide and other forms of carbon, methane's a greenhouse gas. But the argument is, is what's the impact? And I think that's where the science doesn't back up the alarmists. Well, there, there is validity in, I mean, if we didn't have greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, we would freeze to death. Yes, we would. So I, a small amount, 200, 250 parts per million is enough to regulate our temperature. So when you, you'll get to 400 and plus parts per million, yeah, you could be holding more, more heat in. But my question is always, what are you going to do about it? And that's why I've, I've got a bill called the Trillion Trees Act because trees eat carbon. That's it. And if, if there was a research report that came out that said if we planted a trillion trees around the globe, we could... Um, we would absorb 205 gigatons or two thirds of the carbon emitted since the beginning of the industrial revolution, just by planting trees. So instead of just sticking our head in the sand and saying, we're going to destroy all forms of, of energy and transportation. Why don't we look at something proactive, uh, and figure out how to make the fuels that we got cleaner and have less of an impact. And, well, you know, why not nuclear energy? Well, and that was the next question I was coming at. You know, we've had a gentleman on from the CO2 coalition that said, look, yeah, the planet's getting warmer, but we've got more rain. We're growing more food. The planet's greener. You know, let's, let's quit. Let's quit coming with the doomsday scenario. I, I, I like what you're talking about because deforestation far concerns me more than whether or not I've got a coal plant out there that there's ways to reduce that on there. In terms of nuclear, I've done a lot of research on nuclear. My only concern with nuclear, because there's a lot of new reactors out there right now. Um, there's, there's several different ones that are coming out, but the main ones where we've got uranium as the main source, uranium is not something we produce a tremendous amount of in the United States. We do produce a lot of thorium. And I know the thorium, matter of fact, I'm gonna have someone on my Friday show on thorium reactors. Um, but I'm, I'm reading a lot of stuff right now where there's a lot of money going to the nuclear sector in developing these technologies. 
Are we doing anything to separate out and say, hey, look, if we're going to do this, we need to be sure that whatever nuclear technology we back, we've got the proper fissionable material here in the United States. You know, we're the, we're the world's largest supplier of coal. We're the fifth largest supplier of gas. We've got a huge amount of thorium here that if we go down that path, we control our destiny as opposed to another source. Yeah, all great points. And I can go a lot of different directions on that one. I'm the, the ranking member on the Natural Resources Committee. So we deal uh, with energy and mineral production on federal lands. We have the uranium here, but as you said, the United States produces one half of 1% of the uranium that we use. Right. Our major uranium supplier, you won't believe this, is Russia. Oh, I thought it was Canada. I didn't realize it was Russia. <laughs> Canada, Canada and Australia used to be our, our largest suppliers, but Russia has overtaken that. So you've got, you've got China and Russia that are hoarding the world's uh, resources, especially the rare earth elements yeah. and minerals. Um, I don't want to be relying on, on Russia or China. Well, if we go to an all-electric vehicle scenario, uh, we just became even more reliant on China. Uh, yeah. And we, ha we have all those deposits of elements and minerals here in the United States. Uh, talking about uranium, one of the bills the Democrats passed out of our committee and passed off the floor was a 1.2 million acre mineral withdrawal in Northern Arizona. Uh, where our largest deposits of uranium are located. So they've passed a bill. Thank goodness the Senate hasn't passed it and it been signed into law yet, but says that you cannot mine uranium in Northern Arizona, where our largest deposits are. Why? Just so we have to keep buying from Russia? Yeah, not in my backyard kind of thing. Uh, back out to Arizona, there's a copper mine. I've been to this copper mine. It's 7,000 feet deep. I rode an elevator over 20 minutes to get to the bottom of this copper mine. The investors have spent a couple of billion dollars, billion with a B, developing this mine. It's got enough copper to supply 25% of U.S. needs for the next 50 years. The Democrats have a bill in Congress to, to withdraw the mineral lease from that copper mine. And on one side of your mouth, you're saying we're going to electrify everything. And the other side, you're saying we're not going to mine copper in this country. Uh, there's a copper mine, co huge copper deposits, nickel and copper, and a lot of other uh, uh, rare earth elements up in the Superior National Forest in northern Minnesota. Wow. They've been trying to develop this for decades. The Trump administration finally gave them the green light to develop it the Biden administration has pulled it back out again. One of the things they produce up, could produce up there in great quantities is cobalt. Cobalt- Which you need for batteries. Yep, to make lithium batteries, you gotta have cobalt. Um, most people don't realize that the cobalt that goes in the batteries that's gonna electrify the United States comes from China, but it wasn't mined in China. It was mined in the so-called- Demo the, the Democratic Republic of Congo. In Using China, child slave labor with child slave labor. Yeah. Yet we can't develop it in Minnesota, in Northern Minnesota and provide jobs for Americans. It's not just the mining, we need to be refining these metals here as well. Talk if, you know, USGS is under the jurisdiction of our resources committee. I've talked to scientists there. We've got all the minerals and elements we need. We just don't develop them. 
Wow. And while we're not developing our minerals and elements at home, Russia and China are in the Arctic Sea exploring the Arctic Sea for energy and minerals, which is supposedly one of the most uh, mineral-rich places on the planet. And we should be there right beside them. Well, look, your staff told me that you had a hard stop at 3.30. Uh, I want to respect about that all the fun stuff, but uh, yeah, it looks like I'm going to have to jump off. Well, I, we respect that. Now, look, this isn't the first time we've we've done this. This is the third time. When could we get you? Could we get you back on in a couple of months? Because you just hit three areas that I'd like to have a lot more time on. Yeah, I'd love to visit about those areas more. There's a, there's a lot more there too. It's it's astounding what you've you, you given me the, some paths to do some research on. So, all right, so we got uranium in Arizona. We've got uh, deposits in Minnesota with cobalt, and what was the third one? You got a copper mine in Arizona. Copper mine in Arizona. Okay, I'm going to do my research on those. Bruce, thank you very much for coming on and taking the time, and, and I know you've got work to do, and please, thank you for sharing, and, and tell your staff I said thank you very much as well. Thank you, Darren. Have a good day. All right. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. You've been listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. We're going to pay some bills. We'll be right back to kind of summarize what the congressman and I just shared. Bye-bye. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, we want to give uh, thanks to Congressman Bruce Westerman, uh, Republican from the Arkansas, excuse me, from the state of Arkansas, District Number 4, 
obviously on the House Transportation Committee and the uh, subcommittees he discussed, as well as the Committee on Natural Resources, was a plethora of things that came out of that interview. And uh, we appreciate the time that we had. There at the end, if you caught three topics, and I'm going to do a lot more research on, what you should have come away with is that we are having a very strong experience of uh, politicians speaking with forked tongues. You look at what is being proposed in infrastructure, and the push right now is for electrical, electrical, electrical. We want you to go electric. We want your car to be electric. Uh, there's commercials right now. Well, we challenge you to go electric. Well, okay. I've discussed ad nauseum the issues with going electric. Okay. It, it, number one is power. You have to power them. If you snapped your fingers today and every vehicle went from being internal combustion to electric charged and we changed nothing else, there is insufficient power to power those cars and power your homes and businesses and factories and everything else. Doubt what I'm saying? Check the news on recently on what's happening in uh, the state of California, where Californians who drive those electric cars went through a period of time. They were asked to not charge their cars because their electric grid could not support it. And you look at Cal California is a very good microcosm of what they're trying to push the country towards. Now, understand, I'm not beating up on California. I like California. I like the people out there. I know they have a different drummer that they go to. That's cool. I don't have a problem with that. Some of the things have worked very well. Some things haven't worked very well, which you may not be aware of. People say, well, they had all the wildfires out there that were caused by PG&E. Not necessarily, okay? There was some arson involved. And some of the fires that came from PG&E, there were some, were based on two things. Number one, poor land management that has been incurred by California since basically the early part of last decade. They quit doing burnings like they used to do to get rid of it. So you had a lot of under stuff. You have an infrastructure that PG&E has not spent money on like they should because they've been spending in other areas. So you had some arcing. Okay. There were a combination of factors, none of which were climate related. Now you might go, well, why weren't they spending the money on infrastructure for PG&E? California passed a law several years back. I can't give you the exact year, but basically they passed a law to expand nuclear, nuclear to expand renewable energy that said, if I go as a renewable energy developer and I go to Timbuktu County, California, and I build a renewable energy application, be it wind, be it solar, whatever it is, and I'm a tremendous amount of miles from the, the nearest transmission station that can take that energy and get it to the people, that the electrical provider of that region must go in and build the infrastructure from my application to the nearest transmission. So here's what happened. Instead of building infrastructure to support PG&E for the electrical that was being produced for the many, many decades that were coming by multiple sources, but nuclear being one of them. By the way, they, they shut their nuclear plant down, I wanna say 2003, 2005. So they've had less uh, nuclear to go by and they're pushing more and more renewable. The problem is, PG&E couldn't improve their infrastructure because they're spending billions of dollars doing infrastructure for renewable energy. Now, there's some of you going, well, great, that's how it should be. Okay, well, all right. Stop and look at, look at the last 20 and 30 years of electrical use in the state of California and the number of blackouts, brownouts, whatever you want to call them, power outages 
due to insufficient power. The majority of it started happening when they started getting away from coal and nuclear and relying more on renewables. Why? The renewables, number one, to do large industrial applications, you have to have large amount of tracts of land, which are not near most of your hubs. So number one, the fact that you, you might, if you put it out in an area that's 500 miles away, you still have to get it from that area to say San Francisco, you lose a degree of that power in going from one point A to point B. That's a problem. Here's the other. Wind is not reliable. Solar is not reliable in the current technological environment that we're in. Turn to my state of Texas. In the last 10 years, the number of coal fire plants that we have taken off, which go back to a uh, basically prior administration, bringing in those in the environment that wanted to go this route. We're starting to see the fruits of those labors, or as I would say, uh, we're getting tortured with some bad decisions. We're now having in Texas power outages that we never experienced before when we had coal fire plants. Now, those are facts. Those are undisputable facts. Now, there's going to be those of you who say, well, we're doing this for the environment. Okay. I'm not, a, I don't want a, a bad environment. I don't want pollution. But I'm saying to you, you do not have to kill the coal industry or the gas industry to achieve it. And I'm not saying you got to kill the renewable energy. I like renewables as a supplement, not as a primary source. All of the coal plants that were put off, if you look at the number of years they were in service, the power they generated, and all of them operated at like 96 or 97% capacity, the reliability that they had, the number of days that they produced, they were one of the most effective energy production sources out there. Were they polluting? Yes. Does that mean you kill them? No. You find ways to eliminate the pollution. Now, how do you do that? called carbon caption systems. They've been out there for 30 plus years. The cost to put a carbon capture system on an existing plant is far less expensive than to shutter the plant, lose the power, kill the jobs, and the devastating economic impact that it handles on every area that you shut a plant down. This could be done in Texas, California, states all around. Folks, we've got the most, the, the largest coal deposits on the planet. So it's ridiculous to do that. And if you want to go more electric cars, you got to be able to power them. Now, the congressman gave us some very, very interesting things that are being floated. I'm going to find the bills, get his staff to go through that we need some more research on because we're being told, well, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. I know that nuclear is being promoted as the carbon-free solution that the U.S. is supposed to be able to ride out. Okay, maybe, maybe not. In my opinion, I don't think we should be killing coal. I don't think we should be killing gas. Most of them want coal gone. There's, they're mixed on gas, but they want coal gone. And I think it's political. It's purely political because you can make those factories non-polluting. Yes, you have to make an investment, but that investment's worth it to keep the, the systems, to keep the people employed, and to keep the industry alive. This is a political assassination is what this is of that energy sector. But if we're going to go all electric and we're going to make that conversion, or we want to say we want to have an infrastructure that can support more electric, which I like that answer much better. So that means the consumer still has options. 
then we need to be in a position where we are providing the power and we are not reliant on another foreign source, be it our neighbors up north, our neighbors down south, or anybody across any pond. It's called energy independence. And the United States of America has multiple. We have the largest coal reserves on the planet. We have the fifth largest natural gas reserves on the planet. And it's real close between four and three. We have one of the largest deposits of thorium on the planet. What's thorium for? It's a source of fissionable material for nuclear power plants. So if you want to go nuclear, you have that. Now, you just heard the congressman talk about a field in Arizona that has one of our largest uranium deposits in the United States that they're passing a bill where they can't mine that uranium. I thought we were buying most of our stuff from Australia and Canada. I had no idea we're buying most of it from Russia. Did you? Now, I don't think the Russians are our enemy right now, by the way, just so you know. But that doesn't mean they couldn't be that way. That doesn't mean Vladimir Putin can wake up one day and go, <laughs> whatever we're charging uh, the Americans, uh, let's triple it. I think I'd like to big, get a bigger boat, you know, and at least laugh about it. And right now with the current administration, you think they're going to have the spine to stand up to them? No, they're going to find an excuse to come to you to get the money. And let's talk about if we don't get it from them, are we, are we buying it from China? I do know that China's got some of the most, they've got more rare earth minerals that are used in your cell phones, in your computers, now apparently for our nuclear power if we go that route. We've just went through a pandemic and uh, we're still experiencing issues from that pandemic because of the reliance on China as a source of manufacturing. If you doubt what I'm saying, go to a car lot right now and try to look at the selections you've got for cars. It's not that we can't make cars. Do you know why the car selection right now is next to nothing? There are no chips to go in the circuit boards. Why? Because some fool, Clinton's, a uh, century ago started moving jobs out, and it was followed by uh, Mr. Bush and Mr. Obama. That's why there's no cars out there to buy right now. And the ones that you go buy, folks, you're going to have a firm grip on them. Now, that's going to change, but we're having to rely on China. Do you want to rely on them for your power as well? Wake up. These things are changed one way and one way only at the ballot box. They're also changed by your influence on what you do currently with the people that we have sitting in the halls of Congress. And I'm talking the United States Congress, U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. The fact that we're putting this type of bill forward, it's ridiculous. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to pay some bills. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast with Darren Yancey. It's on the Voice America Radio Network. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Information Edge podcast. Uh, want to extend one more time thanks to Congressman Bruce Westerman uh, out of Arkansas, the 4th District, for coming on the show and sharing some stuff We'll try to get him on again in the next 60 days when some of this stuff starts to settle down and we start seeing some of the ramifications of the bills. But he, he shared with us some very important information. Uh, one, about things that were happening inside the House, why they were happening inside the House, but some things that were being, were, were being told uh, a bold-faced lie. Uh, I've come out and been talking about the climate lie, but now we're getting into, apparently, there's something a little more, um, gosh, just devious here and that putting together an infrastructure to make us more reliant on other countries. Is it not bad enough you're wanting to force one area of a sector down someone's throat? Now you want us relying on someone else? And I put forth, and I'm going to get the names of these bills, and I will put them out on the website so that we can go into them. We talked about there's a bill, he said, that uh, can't mine uranium, but they're wanting to go nuclear. We need your. There's only so many fissionable sources, okay? Uranium's one of them. We don't supply the, we're not the leading supplier, but apparently what we do have, they're trying to pass bills. We can't mine it. Where the hell is the logic in that? Who has their head up their fanny on that to put it out? Or is this part of something to make us pay more to someone else that there's some type of back channel payback? You know, that's what it is. We can't prove it yet, but use your common sense. Then he talked about the copper mine in Arizona I spent a couple of billion dollars on that can provide 25% of the necessary copper to the United States for the next 50 years. Now, if you know anything about electrical wiring, you'll know that copper is a big part of it. As a matter of fact, um, even when they get into, you can't have fiber uh, for electric, not yet, maybe one day they can, but right now you've got to have the proper wiring to run electrical. 
And copper is a big part of it. So if you're going to make this big change to infrastructure, you need the components. The copper has always been a uh, international sourcing product to go through. Where can you buy it from? But if we've got a major source in Arizona that now we can't even go to bid because they're trying to pass a bill, and these are Democrats in the House, shame on them. Shame on them. Okay, if you want to go electric, you should be passing every possible bill to make the United States better at it, not worse. We're going to get more information on that. And then the last one, I knew Minnesota had a lot of resources. I did not realize that cobalt was one of them. Now, if you go back a couple of weeks ago, go to my site, informationedge.net. I did a blog on climate change in cars. In fact, it was the show I did uh, here two weeks ago before I went on vacation. And one of the things that I put in there was one of the ramifications of going electric was you're supporting child slave labor. Okay. The cobalt that is mined and, and everybody that, that is pushing electric and say, I got to go electric. I'm going to ask you this point blank. Do you support child labor? Do you support child labor enslavement? Because right now, Every time you go out and you're supporting electric cars, that is exactly what you are supporting, period. Now, I'm not saying you're a morally corrupt person. I'm saying you need to be aware of the facts. The folks that sell the cobalt from China, they don't make it in China. They don't mine it in China. It's all coming out of the Congo. Go to my site. You will see pictures of the kids. Do some research. Look into cobalt mining in the Congo. It is horrific. It's horrific there because, number one, they don't have the regulations that we would have in the United States to protect the land, and the way that they mine it is absolutely a rape on the environment. All of you environmentalists, you should be enraged. I don't hear the outrage. Those of you that want to protect children, you should be foaming at the mouth. Yet there's nothing but silence and it's deafening. The reality is, if you're supporting electric right now, you're supporting these problems. Now, that's one of my big issues with electric. Huge. And I've, if you listen to my Friday show, myself and my partner, Kurt, we hammer on it. Nobody wants to talk about, oh, we got to go electric. I'm like, well, let's talk about the cobalt mine. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. All of a sudden, they get diarrhea of the mouth on another subject. Because no one wants to talk about the facts. And the facts are, when you look into it, the electric car industry currently is built on environmental rape and the enslavement of African children. Those are facts. Now, Congressman comes out here and tells us about a possibility that we could change that. That we've got the necessary resources here in the United States where we could mine the cobalt, probably a whole hell of a lot more environmentally friendly, and create paying jobs that aren't enslaving African kids. Hmm. That sounds like a much more enticing theme to be backing up the electric car industry. Here's the question. What are you prepared to do about it? As you know, I come up each with each. Uh, I try to come up with each show with solutions. Number one, we've got to find out the bills and I will get the bills from Congressman Westerman staff. 
and we'll start finding out who is proposing these bills. We'll find out where these bills are in the process, whether they come out of the House, whether they're still in committee. If they went over to the Senate, who do we need to talk about? Um, that way you've got something. Now, I want to mention something real quick before we get out of today. Tomorrow is the vote on the, the floor of the Senate for the PRO Act. Okay. I've covered the PRO Act in the past. It's something that we've got to get down because it'll kill a lot of independent contractor jobs. I mean, across the, the board and trucking is one that we focus on, but I mean, this, if you're an independent contractor, it will be horrendous. Senators, Kristen Cinema, Mark Kelly and Mark Warner are three Democrats that are not for passing this legislation. Joe Manchin has already mailed it in. Okay. The Republicans don't like it. And right now, if they have to go into filibuster, it will not pass. So they're trying to look at it just as a straight way to put it up as a straight floor vote, manipulate, they're going to try to do the reconciliation route. These three senators are holding back. You need to call them and give them your support. I don't care if you don't like the other stuff that they go stand for. I don't either. But when they stand for something that's positive, when they stand for something that can make a difference in the United States and help others, they need to be rewarded for that. You need to call them and tell them to stand firm. Again, Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema, Arizona Senator Mark Kelly, Virginia Senator Mark Warner. You need to let them know, stand firm and do not vote in any way, shape, form or fashion for the PRO Act. Because I'm telling you, number one, it's going to wipe out independent contractors. Number two, it's going to force unionization on every state that has the right to work state. That means if you're an employer right now, you will lose the right to be an employee. And excuse me, you'll have a, you'll lose the right to have unions or not have unions. These are big things. These change cost structures. These change the number of people that can be eliminated. And the reality is I'm not here to say I don't like unions. I don't have a problem with unions. It needs to be a choice and not forced down your throat because those are the things that we're looking at right now. A lot of things going on. They need your participation to make it happen. All right, folks, this has been uh, wonderful coming back from vacation, spending today with you, having the congressman on and sharing, I think, a lot of good information. Again, have any questions, you can contact me via the website, informationedge.net. Uh, there's ways to go on there and contact me directly through the site. You can email me at darren at darrenyancy.com. And either way, we'll help you in any way that I possibly can. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, I hope the show has once again been informative, educational, and to some degree entertaining. I'll be back next week with another message. Have a great weekend. Have a nice night. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.